You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined by Cavaliers beat reporter for Cleveland.com, Chris Fedor. We were both at the Donovan Mitchell press conference, and what an affair it was. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of pomp and circumstance um, for one of the biggest trades in Cavs history. And not only me saying that, it's the, the GM of the Cavaliers, president of basketball operations, Kobe Allman, saying that. So, um a lot, a lot going on at that press conference, but it was also pretty, uh, you know, I, I thought it was pretty well run. I thought everything kind of went smoothly, and uh, I think the Cavaliers really did a nice job of rolling out the red carpet for uh, for Donovan. That was my big takeaway, too, Hayden, beyond the fact that Donovan handled himself really, really well, and he showed a level of maturity and experience that I think has been lacking on this roster because this roster was in the middle of a rebuild, right, and it was building around a lot of young players that were still learning how to play in the NBA, still learning how to be leaders in the NBA, and just hadn't had the time to accomplish some of the stuff that Donovan has accomplished throughout the course of his career. They haven't had the opportunity to play in the meaningful games that Donovan has had the opportunity to play in in his career. So there's just a different level of experience and maturity, and that came across in his press conference. But beyond that, it felt like, to me, a recruiting pitch. It felt like an organization that understands that they have to do everything that they can do, big and small, to try and make Donovan believe that this is the right place for him. Not just in the short term, but long term as well. You know, they brought a bunch of season ticket holders to the hangar at Burke Lakefront Airport to welcome him the same way they did for Evan Mobley. Like, that's a rare thing in the NBA. Donovan even said it. I asked him about it. He said, it goes a long way with me to see that reception that I got. Those things are meaningful to me. So I think the Cavs understand the situation that they're in. Like they do have some level of responsibility to make Donovan happy, um, to win games consistently and to show him, Hey, this is better than New York. And here's why this, 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 and this. Um, ultimately, like in a few years down the road, his decision is going to be made based on basketball. He said it's about winning. It's not about market size. It's not about that other stuff. But the more you can, um, the more you can invest in a player like this and, and show him a level of love and appreciation that maybe he wasn't feeling elsewhere, the better off you're going to be. And it felt like, to me, a recruiting pitch from the Cleveland Cavaliers to Donovan Mitchell. Well, if it was, I think I think they definitely succeeded. I think you know everything went really well, and I, I couldn't agree with you more that uh, I couldn't agree with you more that Donovan came off really, really well in this press press conference. I mean, he was, you know, he seemed very genuine. wasn't like over the top. wasn't trying to fake anything. Just was seemed very excited right. to be in this situation. Um, seemed excited about his teammates, Darius Garland, Karis LeVert. I mean, who were there in attendance? I mean, it just it seemed very, very natural, and it seemed. Like he has, he does. He seems like he has a level of maturity, but also, you know, a fun side to him. And, and you know, he seems to have a genuine joy for not only playing the game, but for being on this team and to have an opportunity to join this team. So um, I was really thoroughly impressed pretty much by the whole thing and, and by Donovan himself. And it just kind of gets you more excited for, you know, what this thing could potentially be um, when the actual basketball starts. And I want to go ask that last thing that you said to Hayden about, 
is genuine excitement for being in Cleveland. I think everybody can understand why Donovan was pulled towards New York. There's just a different pull to New York than there is going to be to Cleveland for somebody like Donovan Mitchell, who grew up about 25 miles away from Manhattan, who grew up loving the New York Knicks and the New York Mets, and his dad works in the New York Mets front office. And he has built his roots and his family and his, his, his mansion in the Connecticut area, uh, which is close enough to New York, right? So I, I think there has to be some level of recognition and understanding that for him, going to New York would have been the ultimate. Just like LeBron getting drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers was the ultimate. Just like LeBron coming back to Cleveland was the ultimate. For Donovan, it was New York. So there's always going to be a natural pull to New York. In saying that, Aiden, I didn't feel like throughout this entire process he was dead set on joining the Knicks and nobody else, and he wouldn't even entertain the possibility of, of being traded elsewhere, and he wouldn't at least open his mind to a level of happiness elsewhere. You know what I mean? And, right. and I think that's, that's an important key here because – Kobe Altman has said it over and over and over again. Like we want guys who want to be here. We want guys who can see what we're building here. We want guys who are going to appreciate the teammates that we have in place here. And I think for Donovan to say like, yeah, of course, New York has a pull for me. Yeah. It would have been great to be with my mom and, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I thought I was going to New York because everybody in the NBA thought this guy was going to the New York Knicks. It felt like the worst-kept secret in the NBA, that Donovan Mitchell was eventually going to join the New York Knicks. Um, but I think you can tell that he recognizes the situation that the Cavs are in and the situation that he would have been joining if he went to the Knicks. And maybe his excitement isn't over the city of Cleveland, right? Maybe his excitement isn't over um, the culture built here in Cleveland. But his excitement is about the basketball here in Cleveland. And for a majority of these guys, Hayden, when it comes to decision time, yeah, it's about money. Yeah, it's about market. But a majority of the time, these dudes want to win. They want to win at the highest level. So Donovan's coming to a situation where he has Darius Garland. He has Evan Mobley. He has Jared Allen. He has a team that can legitimately be a power in the Eastern Conference for the next three to five years, maybe even longer, depending on how long Donovan Mitchell wants to stay with the Cavs. Like, that's not the same situation that would have been in New York. Had he joined the Knicks, yeah, they would have been better because they were adding a top 20 player in Donovan Mitchell. But the other pieces around Donovan aren't ready to win at the level that the Cavs are ready to win at. And I think that's something that Donovan recognized from the very, very beginning. And I think that's something that he made – um, abundantly clear in his press conference. And I think that's a really, really important distinction because the elephant in the room is New York and it's going to be there for the next year and the year after and the year after until he finally agrees that this is where he wants to stay. But for him to leave, he would be having to leave Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and maybe one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Like how many people leave that kind of situation. Not many. And I, I, I kind of see it differently. I don't think the New York thing lingers. I don't. I, I, I think that this team is going to be so good. And he's. I, I genuinely think this was a perfect fit. And I genuinely think that, like, the only thing that I didn't like about the potential Donovan Mitchell trade for the Cavaliers was, you know, I thought they were going to have to part with one of their big pieces, right? You're going to have to part with yep. Evan Mobley. You're going to have to part with, a, you know. Yep. But for what it was, it it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect for them. Donovan, you know, and I, I, and I think that, yes, New York would have been nice, but it's not as though he doesn't have a connection to this team. I mean, he's good friends with sure. Darius. They were, they've played before. Um, and he right. said it himself. He said his email growing up was like Cavs fan or like Cleveland fan. Cavs like fan. Cavs fan, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like, so there, he, he probably is excited to be a Cleveland Cavalier. Like, I'm just trying to imagine it in my mind. Like, think I'm trying to think about it. And like, sure. like if I when I was a kid, yeah, 
my grandfather brainwashed me. Cavs, Indians, guardy or Cavs, Indians, Browns, Ohio State, right? Like that was it. Yeah. But if yeah. I was a player and I got to play for the Buffalo Bills, who are a favorite team of mine, I would have loved that. If I got to play for the Baltimore Orioles, which was another favorite team of mine, I would have loved that. Like it didn't. It's not so much that like. Like, yes, like I would have rather gone to Cleveland, but like I would have still enjoyed being in those situations. And I think that's kind of a similar situation to Donovan. Like, okay, maybe it wasn't the ultimate dream, but it's not, it's definitely a good place to be and a place that I would, you know, that I would enjoy being. And on top of that, we're going to go win. We're going to go win games. We got my, we got my friend here. We're going to go win games. Like, this is where one of my favorite players of all time built this kind of rebuilt this franchise and, and the legacy that it has now. Like, I think of it in like that kind of a way. So I think that, I think it's going to be perfect. I think this team is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know, you know, championships are championships and, and that's, you know, a whole different conversation, but at least for the next two, three years, I don't envision this team being anything but fun and exciting. I don't envision, you know, and, and this is nothing against, uh, I would, I would go through all of it again. It's nothing against the LeBron drama. It's nothing against all of that. I just don't envision that with this team. I envision this team being fun, being exciting, being like sharing the ball, just trying to win and going out and uh, and doing it in a fun way. That's the vibe I got from Donovan. That he's a fun guy. He's serious when he needs to be, but like he 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 he's gonna enjoy this thing. Do you remember what Kobe Altman said um, following the the two play in losses when he held his end of season press conference? Hayden, he said something along the lines, and I'm not gonna quote him here. I'm gonna paraphrase. He said something along the lines of. We accomplished a lot this past season. We got to the play-in tournament. We won 44 games. If we're going to make any kind of significant move when it comes to the roster and the construction of this whole thing, it has to be a delicate balance. Remember that? And he was talking about the team chemistry. He was talking about um, just the pieces that were in place and how they fit together and the lineup combinations and all that kind of stuff. But he said... I've got to be aware of that. When I'm constructing a roster, I've got to be aware of everything. And before I go adding a significant piece to a team that's got 44 wins, that went to the play-in tournament, and that has a lot of really, really good things going with some of these young pieces that we've put together here in Cleveland, I've got to be really conscious of all of those different factors. And, and I think the thing that came across in the press conference with Donovan and, and all the conversations that I've had with people that have covered Donovan Mitchell, um, it's that his fit from a personality standpoint, his fit from a character standpoint, it works here, right? Like he's not super, super old where he may get upset with the growing pains that some of these young guys are still going to experience going through a playoff run or going to the playoffs for the first time, right? Um, He speaks the same language as some of these guys. He has the same hobbies as some of these guys. He has the same interests on and off the floor as some of these guys. And and I think it's, it's really, really important to add somebody to this group that fits the timeline of their competitive window, but also fits like, where these guys are in terms of their lives and in terms of, of what they talk about. And Donovan is that kind of guy. At least he came across as that kind of guy. And I'm like you, I just don't feel like there are going to be any kind of issues with that stuff where there could have been right with a different piece added to the mix. Um, and J.B. Bickerstaff talked about it, and Kobe Altman talked about it. Like, you're adding a person to this thing. It's, it's not just a score. It's not just a set of numbers. It's not just a shooting guard who's 6'1 with a 6'10 wingspan, right? This is a people business, and you're adding people to the mix. And if you don't add the right people, you could have taken a step back as an organization. And And I think the Cavs considered all of those things. And I think from – a personal standpoint, I think Donovan is going to be a really, really good fit in this locker room. You, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and I think we just, and uh, you know, I just, I, we, we, I think we forget about this so much in sports and and outcomes is that this is a people business. Every every person is a person. Every person has feelings. Every person has emotions. Every person was raised a certain way. Every person has different interests. Like and. 
Yeah. I think exactly what you said, and maybe even especially more on a basketball team where it's only 15 guys. It's so important. And that's why that's why LeBron said to Kevin Love, hey, you know, I don't I don't know that LeBron knew what was going on with Kevin. I get it. And that's that's totally different. But fit in. Yeah. Like, don't fit out. Like, right. we want make right. this a family. Like this, we want you to fit. We want we want to embrace you. And he and eventually that happened, right? Eventually that happened. Yep. And you know, it took some hard times for that to happen, but it happened. So that's what I'm saying. I think these these people fit together. I think they all fit together. I think they're all selfless. And and that's you know, and that's the thing with Colin. I think Colin was a great person in his own right, and I think he fit in with the locker room. I agree. I but agree. I think I think that there was just this this on court difference with the way that he was. He was a, I think he was a very right, different stylish. person. I think well I just think he was a different person on the court than he was in the locker room. Like I think that's just from what from what I saw from what how I viewed things. And I think that you know the selflessness that's that kind of is going to be displayed here. I think it's going to be real. I don't think it's going to be forced. I think it's going to be real. I think these guys are genuinely going to want to help each other and push each other forward. So. Um, I, I think it's a perfect fit as a as a, as you mentioned. You know, they they're similar ages, kind of similar interests. Like, I think that they they all just kind of fit in together, and I I'm excited to see. You know, and and I think it helps too to have kind of some veteran presences in in Rubio in Kevin Love. Right. You know, to show them the way. Hey, you know, if if they're kind of having too much fun when they need to be serious, well, okay, then you got those guys to kind of lock it down. So I think it's a great mix. I'm really excited for where this team is going to go because I think that they could be really special. Yeah, and I think this goes without saying, Hayden, but for the next couple of years until Evan Mobley reaches the level that a lot of us think he's going to be at, this needs to be Donovan Mitchell's team. This is a guy who has accomplished more than Darius Garland, right? This is a guy who has accomplished more than anybody in that locker room except for Kevin Love to this point in his career. So he has seen things that these guys haven't seen. He has been to places these guys haven't been. He has experienced things that these guys haven't experienced. Um both good and bad, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. So, so for him, like he needs to step into this leadership role. And it's one thing to have Ricky Rubio as, you know, a, a positive influence and a leader and a primary voice. And same thing when it comes to Kevin Love, right? But like Donovan Mitchell is the guy who's going to make the biggest difference in, in whether the Cavs get to where they want to get to um, immediately and and whether they don't you know what i mean and yep. and oftentimes like i know that that darius accomplished a lot last year and he went to the all-star game and jared allen accomplished a lot last year and he went to the all-star game but it's just a different level with somebody like donovan mitchell um and and i think it's a different level when it's somebody like kevin love at this stage of his career because the kevin love at this stage of his career cannot make the same difference on the basketball court the way that he used to be able to. So yeah, he's won a championship and yeah, people in the locker room look up to him, but, but if he's the primary voice and he's not hall of famer, Kevin love playing at that kind of level, it's different. It just is. And for Donovan Mitchell, he is three time all-star Donovan Mitchell who had took the Utah jazz to the playoffs five times and on the floor he can be the biggest difference maker for the Cavs. So he can back up the things that he says. And I think there's just a different level of cachet that can come with that kind of guy taking the reins of this organization from somebody like Ricky Rubio, Kevin Love, Robin Lopez, whoever else you want to talk about as the quote unquote veteran leaders that have been there, done that. No, I mean, I think it's a great, I I think it's a beautiful mix of, of all, you know, different kinds of, of, you, know, you got a lot of young guys, but you got some really, some really established vets, Ricky, Kevin, um, you know, Robin Lopez, and then you got Donovan Mitchell, who's kind of in the Mitchell, who's kind of, kind of in the Mitchell, kind of in the middle, um, and can yeah. uh, can kind of, you know, relate to the older guys, but also relate to the younger guys. I think it's really, it, it's perfect. Uh, you have mentioned JB Bickerstaff a little bit, and I know you talked to him after the press conference and kind of how things changed. Um, for this Cavaliers team when they brought in Donovan Mitchell. So tell me a little bit about that conversation, where G, what JB's kind of viewpoint is right now and how he's feeling about things. Well, it's really, really funny, Hayden, because he mentioned this in the press conference, and I got into it a little bit more um, in the story that I did. He had his coaches retreat at Nemecolon Woodlands Resort in Pennsylvania again this year, just like he did last year. 
He took all the coaches there. They gathered for two days, and they discussed everything. They discussed the starting lineup. They discussed discussed the closing lineup. They discussed different two-man combinations and five-man combinations. So, like, that tells me two different things. Uh, number one, JB was not expecting significant changes to the roster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was already approaching training camp. It was already approaching September. And he said, okay, the moves that we have made this offseason, adding Ricky Rubio, adding Neto, adding Robin Lopez, adding Ochai Abaji, like, that's what we have. So we're going to go forward with this plan. We're going to discuss it. We're going to try to find the best combinations with that group of personnel. So he wasn't expecting this Donovan Mitchell trade. It was a curveball to J.B. Bickerstaff. That's the first thing that it tells me. The other thing that it tells me is that, you know, before the Mitchell trade, there were some things that, that JB had to figure out that, that I think could have been pretty tricky and maybe even a little bit delicate. And, and Donovan helps that. Donovan clears some of that up. We talked a lot, Hayden, on this podcast about the log jam that they were looking at at the two-guard spot. Really, the guard spots, the backcourt. Um, and it's like, how is Abaji going to get enough minutes? How is Okoro going to get enough minutes? What's the plan for Levert? And, and we went down the list. And Colin Sexton, if he would have been coming back to the Cavs, how was he going to get enough minutes? How was J.B. Bickerstaff going to make all these guys happy? And he was staring at a situation very, very similar to the forward spot. And I think it's part of the reason why he went to Nemecolon again. That was where, um, obviously, the idea for the tall ball lineup came together and they experimented with it in training camp and in the preseason. And they ended up going with it and making Lowry Markinen the starting small forward. It was very, very uh, creative and it was very, very unconventional. Um, So obviously the Cavs were looking at a similar situation with the guard position and they needed to hash some things out with Donovan Mitchell, Abaji goes, Colin Sexton goes, and now everything slides into place and it feels pretty easy to figure out like how are these pieces going to fit where are the minutes coming from um and i think it's in a way i think it's going to make some of these guys happier because it's going to be more consistency and that doesn't mean that some of these jobs are up for grabs it doesn't mean that some of these roles won't change throughout the course of the season but I think there's going to be more uh, consistency when it comes to minutes, when it comes to rotations, and things like that. Darius Garland's going to start at the one. Donovan Mitchell's going to start at the two. J.B. Bickerstaff needs to figure out the three. Evan Mobley, the four. Jared Allen, the five. And then you've got your backups, which are pretty obvious, with Kevin Love coming off the bench, Neto being the backup point guard, so on and so forth, right? Karis LeVert could be the sixth man, or he could start at three. Isaac Okoro could start at the three or he could come off the bench. Um, But to me, I feel like JB's, some of the things that could have tripped him up, I think those cleared up and I think he recognizes that. And the other thing that I think he recognizes is that stylistically, the Cavs are going to have to change, so to speak because they don't have three seven-footers anymore. They don't have the tall ball lineup to use because they don't have Markkanen, and whoever's playing small forward is not going to be Markkanen. He's not going to have the same skill set. But the belief is that the Cavs can still have the same principles. They can still have the same attention to detail. They can still have the same foundation on the defensive end because the two most important people for the Cavs to be the kind of defensive team that they want to be even with this set of personnel, as opposed to the previous set of personnel, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. So if there's anywhere that it's going to work with a, a tiny unconventional backcourt, and tiny is a relative term, it's an NBA relative term, with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, it's when you have two elite defenders protecting those guys. So the Cavs are still going to try and um, base everything that they do with this organization on the defensive end first. So for that reason, do you think it's a, a lock that Okoro is going to be the starter at the three? I mean, because, I mean, if you're going to rely on Darius and and uh, and, right. and Donovan to be your offense, 
then I mean, then you're just going to go, you know, full on defensive. Get, I mean, and you're you're going to get offense from Mobley. You're going to get offense from Jared Allen, and maybe even a little bit from Okoro. But that's kind of the way they're going to look about it. Is you know, you got your two engines running the backcourt, and then you got the, uh, you know, you got the big three up uh, playing defense in the front court. I think so. If I had to put money in Vegas on the front runner for the small forward spot, the starting small forward spot, it's a Coro for a lot of those um, reasons that you mentioned. I also think Darius Garland, yes, he can play off the ball, and the Cavs are excited about his potential off the ball and how Donovan can make him better and how Darius can make Donovan better. But Darius is is a guy who's going to occupy possessions. Darius is a guy where you want the ball in his hands and you want him making decisions and you want him running the offense because the offense functions in a great way when he runs it. Um, the same thing goes for Donovan Mitchell and, and his playing style. He's elite when it comes to pick and roll offense. Him and Jared Allen are going to be great in a pick and roll together. Donovan and Rudy were great in a pick and roll together. So you want the ball in his hands too so if you throw Levert in the mix you're going to have to call stuff for Levert too you're going to have to give him opportunities to shot create and play make and I just I just think JB has talked all along whether it was going into this training camp or last year it's about the best five guys together at the same time it's about the best combination it's maybe not all five of your best players in there at the same time, but it's the fit of those five guys. And to me, I'm not the head coach here. I'm not an assistant coach in the NBA. But to me, Karis LeVert next to Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland is a very, very wonky fit. Isaac yeah. Coro next to Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell makes a lot of sense because you don't have to call plays for Isaac. You don't have to give him touches. You don't have to make sure that he's happy with the number of shots that he's getting and the number of opportunities that he's getting. And you don't have to worry as much about Darius and Donovan on the defensive end because Isaac Okoro, as a defender, can take some of those tougher assignments against, I don't know, Trey Young, Jimmy Butler, um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those kinds of guys. Now you can put Isaac on them and not have to um, give that assignment to either Darius or Donovan Mitchell, and that it can allow it can better allow Darius and Donovan to be more involved on the offensive end. So from a fit standpoint, I think a Coro is the kind of guy that makes sense. And and then in that case, Hayden, and he doesn't shoot it as well, but in that case, if you're thinking about a stylistic fit. Isaac Okoro would be to the Cavs what Royce O'Neal was to the Utah Jazz. Just play defense and do the little things that contribute to winning. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then if, you know, if you need help, I have to add something here. If, if Isaac continues to be an offensive liability, even surrounded by Darius and Donovan Mitchell, if he continues to be an offensive liability and he passes up open three pointers, um, or he doesn't knock down the open three-pointers that he gets, or if he just doesn't look like he fits in well offensively because he's just standing in the corner and he's not cutting and whatever the case may be. If he doesn't make the steps on offense that he needs to make, um, then then I think the Cavs would have to explore another option because no matter how good Darius and Donovan are offensively, and I think Mobley is going to grow offensively, and I think Jared Allen is underrated offensively as well. Um, it's very, very difficult in the NBA to play four on five on the offense. Then. No matter what team you're playing against, no matter what month it is. So if he remains an offensive liability, there's no amount of defense and, and other little things that he can bring to the table that would, would make J.B. Bickerstaff, or me for that matter, justify putting him in that starting lineup when I think Karis LeVert or Jetty Osman or somebody else could show uh, maybe possibly they could fit as well uh, in a way that I don't think they can, um, or at least in a way that I don't think they fit as well as Isaac from the rip. Right. It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I think when you look at the depth of this team, too, I mean, you got to look beyond kind of Darius and Donovan and, and Karis and Isaac. I mean, you know, we got to look at Neto. We got to look at, you know, um, Kevin Love. I mean, where does Kevin Love especially? You know, last year, Kevin Love had one of the better years of his career in a different kind of way. Um, was the sixth yep. man of the year and and um, really just it played bought in played incredibly well like given everything and and this year um are, are they expecting him to be that kind of sixth man of the year again or are they going to kind of you know let him pick and choose his spots and and pick and choose where they play him and kind of let Darius come or not Darius let uh Karis come in and be kind of the bench scorer or do those guys come in together and kind of work things out what, what are the envision for Kevin Love and kind of the rest of the bench um for this Cavaliers team yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I I think the Cavs saw since the finals years, the Cavs saw the best version of Kevin Love. Yeah. Um, and and I think they're going to stick with that. Um, I, I think Kevin accepts the role that he's going to be in. I think Kevin understands that it's probably best to maximize his longevity and his effectiveness. He can't be a 30 to 35 minute a night player at this stage of his career. He can't. He's going to wear down physically and mentally. Um, he can't be a guy, Hayden, that, that is one of the highest usage players on the roster, not at this stage of his career. He can't be a guy who's going to take, you know, 15 to 18 shots a night. That's just not who he is at this stage of his career. So I think JB has found the ideal role for Kevin um, at this point. And, and I think it's best for the Cavs. And I think it's best for Kevin Love. And I expect him to stay in that role. I think Neto running the second unit is going to help Kevin because Neto is a pro. He understands how to run an offense. He understands how to get guys involved. He's not Ricky Rubio. He's not going to play to that level. But he is a pro who knows how to run an offense. And that's very, very important. Because if you think about the second half of last year, Kevin kind of was up and down. Jetty Osman was up and down as well. And it's not a coincidence that that was the time of year when Ricky Rubio was was first injured and then traded to the Indiana Pacers because he suffered that season-ending injury. Um, the second unit didn't function the same way without that kind of guy in it. And I, I think having somebody like Neto is going to help Kevin. Um, I think Kevin is going to help the second unit. He's going to be that stabilizing veteran presence um, that has the same kind of role in the Cavs' success as as he had last year. When it comes to Donovan, I had kind of one more question because we talk about when you, we talk about Kevin, we talk about you know the these this Cavaliers' offense, and I still think the one thing that you kind of I wouldn't say it's missing, but it's still kind of up in the air. Is the point you know Darius Garland is an amazing three point shooter. Uh, Kevin's a good three point shooter. You have. Um, but that's kind of where you that's kind of where the line is kind of like, well, um, where else are we getting three pointers from? Because uh, Donovan's not an elite three point shooter by any stretch. Um, I don't think Karis Levert's an elite three point shooter by any stretch. So is that an issue at all? The lack of the th- I mean, the NBA is is turning into a three point league and, and you know, the Cavaliers aren't going to really play that way much, I would assume, uh, given, you know, the track record of their guys. So what does the three point line mean to this Cavaliers team? So I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and they said my view, uh, somebody inside the NBA that, that, that watches this stuff on a daily basis, um, they said my view of, of Donovan Mitchell was a little bit off because I focused too much on his three-point percentage. And I think that's fair to a point. Um, in his career, I would look at it and say that's a 36% three-point shooter. But the thing that they said to me was, hey, this is a guy who takes eight per night for his entire career. So, you know, obviously he's not Clay Thompson and 
and he's not Steph Curry, and he's not, you know, a prolific above 40% three-point shooter with that kind of reputation. Um, but for somebody who takes that many per game to shoot at, at that percentage, um, it can't be overlooked, and it can't be understated about the volume and the willingness to take those shots and, and what that does to a defense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there is a level of threat to Donovan Mitchell as a three-point shooter. This is what I was told and, and why I was corrected. There is a level of threat to Donovan Mitchell as a three-point shooter um, that hasn't been there for the Cavs. And I yeah. think to, to, this is where I was corrected. For me to only look at the three-point percentage, 36% throughout his career, and say he's not a great three-point shooter or the Cavs aren't going to have enough three-point shooting or however you want to phrase it, I was probably off on that um and i think and i think there's going to be enough willingness to shoot the three and there's going to be enough volume when it comes to threes and i think there's going to be enough quality when it comes to the threes with donovan and darius together um it's a different level than i would say darius and colin darius and isaac darius and karis um so, so I'm excited to see the potential of those two guys together and what that means for the Cavs in terms of three-point makes, three-point attempts, and three-point percentage. Because you hit on it, Hayden, um, last year for the Cavs, in terms of all of those categories, they were either middle of the pack in the NBA or they were bottom third in the NBA. And that played a large role in them offensively not being good enough on a nightly basis. Right. Right. No, you're right. So I'm, I mean, that's that's very interesting to hear because you're right. I mean, if it's more of a volume thing where he's, you know, making three of eight. Yeah, you, I think you can live with that. I think three of eight is, you right. know, you can live with that. If he's getting good looks, because some I, nights he'll hit five of eight, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, think throughout his career, throughout his career, the lowest number of total threes that he has made in a single season for Donovan Mitchell is 173. Wow. So he, he hovers right around 200 made threes per year. Um, you know, from that standpoint, I don't think there's anybody else that's going to approach that on this roster as opposed to Darius Garland. Like Kevin Love won't even approach that, not in this role that he's in. Right. So I think that number is really, really important. And I think it adds a very, very interesting and exciting dynamic uh, to this team's offense. So a week from today, we will be uh, at the Cleveland Clinic Courts in uh, Independence for the 2022-2023 uh, Cavaliers Media Day. And, you know, this offseason has been, it was pretty quiet there for a while, but then all of a sudden ramped up. So what are you looking forward to? We were, you know, you said you want to talk a little bit about, about things going into training camp. What are you looking forward to about that day? What are the conversations that you're looking to have? What are who? What questions are you going to ask? I mean, what about the 26 is going to be kind of on your radar? I think one of the things is obviously expectations. The expectations have been raised in just how this team handles it, yeah. right? Because for the last couple of years they have been flying under the radar this past year they were the plucky underdog that was really really feisty and really competitive and and gave teams um, a different kind of challenge than what they were expecting going into the game um, in part because nobody expected anything from the Cavs they were coming off another bad season um, and now just like towards the end of the season now they're on the radar. Now they're going to be getting the opponent's best shot. Like teams aren't going to be overlooking the Cavs on a random November or December night the way that they have in the past. How do they handle that? Because right. there's a different level of, of compete that is required. There is a different level of mentality that is going to be required. Right. And it's something that Darius has not experienced. It's something that 
um, you know, Jared Allen hasn't really experienced. It's something that Evan Mobley hasn't experienced, not at the NBA level. So how they handle that change, I think, is going to be really, really interesting. And the kind of attitude that they bring to this season, I think, is something that I want to explore as well. Do they still see themselves as underdogs? Or do they see themselves as a legitimate threat in the Eastern Conference, a team that deserves to be taken more seriously? And do they play with that same edge and that same bleep you mentality and that same chip on their shoulder? So that's something that I'm going to pay attention to because um, going from bad to good, Hayden, that is, you know, easier than going from good to great in the NBA, finding that next level. And I think Donovan's going to help that a lot just from a pure talent standpoint, but there has to be a mentality attached to that as well. Um, If you remember when LeBron came back uh, and and they put together the big three, it's something that, you know, he had to teach Kevin Love and he had to teach Kyrie Irving and he had to teach Dion Waiters before Dion was traded uh, because they just hadn't experienced that. So that's one thing. Uh, The other thing, and I think it looms over this entire training camp, the preseason is what's J.B. Bickerstaff do at the starting small forward spot. Um, on one hand, I think it's overrated to say, say, you know, starter versus backup. But um, when it's about finding the best combinations and finding the best five-man lineup and finding uh, the best closing lineup and stuff like that, um, it does matter. It does matter. And, and I think JB needs to find the best possible fit, not the best player, not the most talented player, but the best fit in the, the five-man lineup, the, the fifth guy. The starting small forward is something that I'm going to pay uh, really close attention to. Right, it makes sense. It all makes sense. Well, I'm looking forward to Monday. Looking for looking forward to a week from today. Yeah, I am too. Because other than that, I mean, you feel like the talent level of Darius and Donovan are going to allow them to play together well. You feel like Darius's ability to be so effective off the ball is going to allow those guys to play together well. And and some of the defensive questions that some people may have about the fit between those two guys, um, I I think those are masked to some level by the fact that you have two elite rim protectors behind them and Evan Mobley and and Jared Ellis. So what's the plan for the defense with Darius and Donovan together in the backcourt? Well, it's the same thing that it was going to be if it was going to be Darius and Colin in the backcourt surround them with the best possible defenders to make it not be as much of a problem. And the Cavs have the personnel to make it not be as much of a problem. Right. It's like, get through our first line of defense. We got a big, uh, got a big wall back there. So we're, yeah. we're okay with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. They're called it's, rim protectors for a rim. reason. They protect right. you on the defensive end. That's correct. And they got they got two of the yeah. best in the business and those two big guys. So looking forward to I it. Think, I, um, I think one other thing that I'm going to monitor throughout the course of the season too, Hayden, is is J.B. Bickerstaff and, and this coaching staff in general. You know, a big reason why they were assembled was, you know, to put the pieces in place, to lay down the culture, um, to find the core principles, the thing that – that, that is going to matter for a rebuilding team to develop these young guys into um, quality NBA players. And, and JB has shown to be very, very good at that. He was good at that in Houston. He was good at that in Memphis. And he has shown to be good at that here in Cleveland. But this is a little bit different now. This all goes back to the expectations, right? This isn't so much about player development. The leash isn't as long for people in the organization. When expectations come, pressure comes as well. So I'm really, really interested to see J.B. Bickerstaff make that next step as an in-game coach when it comes to timeouts, when it comes to ATOs, when it comes to offensive creativity, when it comes to defensive creativity, when it comes to decisions in crunch time and stuff like that, right? Like those things are more magnified than ever when you're talking about a team with these kinds of expectations, a team that is supposed to be a threat, at the very least a threat in the Eastern Conference. Right. Right. It makes sense. All right. 
anything else you want to uh, discuss before we get out of here? No, I don't think so. I think we about covered it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely again. It was a great press conference. I thought the Cavaliers did a really nice job. I thought Don- I th- I'm I'm excited. I'm excited about Monday. I'm excited about the season. I think Donovan just takes it to a whole another level. And uh, I'm excited about the person he is too. I'm excited about you know what he brings as a as a human being, what he brings to the basketball team, and uh, should be a lot of fun to uh, you know to watch over the next couple of years. And uh, you know, let's focus on day by day. At, I guess at, at, at this time, just focus on training camp. But you, it's kind of hard to to stop yourself from looking into the future, isn't it? Of course. Are you kidding me? I mean, I think that's one of the best things about this trade for Donovan Mitchell, right? Because, like, the Cavs could have been in a situation, and they probably wouldn't have done this, but hypothetically, they could have been in a situation where they acquired a guy for only this year, for only a year and a half, right? And the clock ticks faster, and it ticks in a different kind of way um, when you acquire that kind of guy. Almost like a midseason trade for somebody on an expiring contract, right? It's not that situation with Donovan Mitchell, and we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. I do think, to me, I do think the New York thing looms. But the beauty of the trade for somebody like Donovan Mitchell is a little bit different if it would have been DeJounte Murray, right? Like, you know Donovan Mitchell is under contract for the next three years, and you don't have to really worry about extensions and how much are we going to pay this guy And is he going to want to leave quickly? There's enough, to use a Kobe Altman term, there's enough of a runway here still attached to this group and the upside that this group has. So it's not just like this year championship or bust and there's a ticking clock because somebody's hitting free agency a year from now or a year and a half from now. There's time for Darius and Donovan and Jarrett and Evan to all grow together. There's time for the Cavs to grow together. There's still like an organic nature to what they've built here because of the contract situation of all their most important players, including the guy that they acquired who has at least three years on a contract. Hayden, you know this in the NBA, that is a lifetime. That is an eternity. Three years of control for this kind of player. You're going to have the prime years of Donovan Mitchell playing next to these young guys for the foreseeable future. So that to me is a very, very exciting aspect of this trade. And it's why you feel like it's not just a one year thing. You can talk about the future three to five years down the road and where this can still go. I mean, realistically, I think this is the first kind of post LeBron era of, Cavaliers basketball where you have real expectations you have real hope you have real kind of um, excitement for what this team can can do and I think it's very it's like I said it's exciting it's exciting to have kind of a new this is kind of a new era I mean it's the Donovan Mitchell right. era. It's, you, you have a new star I mean you know it, with you know I know LeBron's been gone for what four years now it seems like yeah four years and uh, you know in yeah. those four years there's been some you know it was a rebuilding process it was a growing process and um, yeah and they they figured out a way to do it, but now they're entering a new era of comp- competition. They're competing now. They're competing for you know championships. So this is the Mitchell era. It's the, it's a new era without LeBron James. And as much as you know, as much as it's uh, as lo- as much as LeBron is Cleveland basketball at this point, it's it's kind of an exciting to have another opportunity to kind of start something new and start something fresh and see where it goes. And this group made mistakes. There were slip-ups along the way in this rebuild, and and we don't have to go through all of them, but they're glaringly obvious. Um, In saying that, for them to have those slip-ups and the success, all of that piled together, and to be at this point where we're legitimately talking about – I'm not talking about the Cavs winning a championship, right? But I'm talking about them legitimately competing – for a top five, six spot in the Eastern Conference and then seeing what happens. And in today's NBA, in this Eastern Conference, with how loaded it is, that is a big, big step for an organization. And for them to do it in just four years since right. LeBron left, right. Right? that's not all that normal in today's no. NBA. No, you know, 
ask the Phoenix Suns. It took them a long, long time to get to this point where they're at, right? And they made mistakes too, and they made good moves. Ask the Sacramento Kings, right? Ask the Orlando Magic. Not every rebuild is going to, quote-unquote, work. Not every rebuild is going to position you um, where the Cavs are currently positioned. And it's not what's going to happen in four years after losing the NBA's most dominant force. Like, that's the other thing about this. This wasn't just, you know, some top 15 player that left the organization four years ago. This was the guy, the NBA's most dominant force, arguably the best player of all time. And for them to be in this position right now, four years since that happened, like, give credit to everybody inside the organization that helped them get to this point. Um, Because I, for one, personally – thought it was going to take longer than this. And and they fast-tracked this thing in a way that doesn't always happen in the NBA. And not only did they fast-track it, but, like, it's not just go out in free agency and sign these aging veterans and just have, like, that flash-in-the-pan type year. They fast-tracked it in what seems to be a sustainable way. Right. Right. You're right. They I, They deserve a remark. They deserve... A very, very, very big, you know, round of, round of applause for what they've done because I think it's been remarkable to do to see what they've done. So, anything else? Last time, forever hold your peace. <laughs> I know we love that. I, love, I know we love that term here on the podcast. Oh my god, I'm I'm good now. I'm good. Okay. Media yeah. day coming up. Preseason yep. right around the corner. Yep. Can't believe it's already here. Unbelievable. Well, well, you got to get out of here so you can enjoy the rest of your time with the family because I know that you know. Soon enough, it'll be basketball again. So um, enjoy the week. We will see you on Monday. We'll probably talk on Monday. I mean, we'll probably do a podcast, you know, sometime around then, right? So I appreciate you guys joining us. Thanks for listening. And definitely, I always say it every week, but every week it seems, every week it it remains true. Go sign up for Chris's subtext. This is the best time to do it. And I say that every week. Oh, it's the best time to do it. Well, this is the best time to do it. You got uh preseason bat or you got basketball training camp starting you got this cavalier season beginning you got media day on monday you got donovan mitchell in town what better time to sign up for chris's subtext 399 a month 14 day free trial all you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash calves click the blue banner at the top of the page and go check out chris's subtext all kinds of insight news analysis sent straight to your phone before twitter or anywhere else again chris's subtext cleveland.com slash calves blue banner at the top of the page enter your phone number and you should be good to go two-week free trial $3.99 a month after that. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, buddy. All right. Thanks, man. Take care.